Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, joined as usual in the cockpit of this magnificent flying machine by none other than Awesome Ward. He always He's not saluting me, he's saluting you. Uh, awesome, welcome again to the Tim May Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, happy bye week. Yeah, happy bye week to you, my man. It's always funny. People think the team has the weekend off, has the week off. People think we have the week off. No such animal, no such thing, right? You've been covering college football now for 20 years or or so. Am I, am I right about that? Or getting getting close to 20? Yeah. I've been doing it for 45 or 47, and there's no such thing as a week off, right? You know, I was thinking about that the other day. The off weeks at Tennessee when I was covering that team tended to get pretty busy. Yeah. Um, and not for reasons of covering games, and you always try to make – plans to go do something and uh you know one year I, I get lined up with Wyoming's homecoming and went back and you know they sometimes those teams would make more work for you when they weren't playing games but knock on wood right here uh the last 10 years or so has that's not been the case covering this team but uh they're not they don't bat a hundred percent or bat a thousand around here but they've been pretty good about managing those off dates around here yeah a real quick story uh, with JT Barrett was a quarterback. You remember his uh, the problem he had that one night on the off week, on the late yeah. Friday night, early Saturday morning, and I was playing in a scramble. I was going to take the Saturday off the whole whole day to play in a scramble and uh, get a phone call at six thirty in the morning. You know, you're not going to believe this, but you know, and uh, and 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 the guy also said, and Cardell Jones went and picked him up at the police station, you know, or whatever there, the holding tank, wherever it was. I went, you got to be kidding me. So I called Bill Rabinowitz and told him he needed to handle it. I was playing in a golf outing that a golf scramble that morning. That's one of the few times I've ever pitched the ball. But uh, there's no way, man. I was looking so forward to playing golf that day. And are you kidding me? These guys have ruined my off day again. And that it happened. It has happened countless times. Like you said, knock on wood. It's a pretty good group that Ohio State's got around them now, and uh, in, in 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 the player situation and. Uh, and uh, it looks like it's only going to get better. But, you know, real quick, I want to get into not too much chit-chat here, even though I've already spent two minutes on chit-chat. Uh, I've got Michael Bennett, you know, former Ohio State defensive lineman, now law school student at Howard University. And we get into that a little bit too, but I've got him on. To, he's been watching this uh, Ohio State defense intently, and Ohio State as a whole intently has some really good opinions on where this Ohio State defense is and where it's going that's coming up in, in just moments. And then uh, – uh, and then after that, uh, after a little interlude with you and myself, I've got Bill Bender of the SportingNews.com to uh, came on again to kind of set set everything straight. Now that we had this uh, knock it off uh, circle uh, weekend uh, in college football with Iowa beating Penn State when Sean Clifford uh, left had to leave the game with injury, and of course, you know Texas A&M, who I did have as my dark horse pick to win the SEC West, and you know, of course, then they lost promptly lost two games. And I fell off that bandwagon a little bit. But remember, I told I told Spencer that, you know, during that game the other day, I thought Alabama, I thought Texas AM had a shot at those guys. And he said, not with that backup quarterback or not with that young quarterback. And Calzada, man, he looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate in that game. I'm talking about Texas AM's uh quarterback. And uh, you know, they they do the unthinkable. They knock off Alabama at Kyle Field at uh, College Station. So quite the weekend, huh? Hey, when we get our predictions right. Uh, around young Spencer. We've got to make sure that he knows about it. Yeah. 
top 20, top 20 or so running back, but I digress. <laughs> but, you know, you're right. I mean, and the other thing, you know, we've witnessed it before, Austin, and I get kind of – I get a little bit of goosebumps here just thinking about the fact we're watching another Ohio State quarterback blossom right in front of us. A little bit of a surprise to some people nationally. I, you know, I don't know why. If, you have, if you've been paying attention, first-year starting quarterbacks at Ohio State have done – pretty well, you know, over the last many years. Uh, But C.J. Stroud, once again, the freshman of the week in the Big Ten, the fourth time this year and third straight. I mean, he's rivaling that uh, pick six record or, yeah, pick six streak and record that uh, the Ohio State defense is currently working on with four. But, yeah, C.J. Stroud just continues to come on, right? It's nice that uh, Ohio State's taking an off week here so that somebody else, another program, can win freshman of the week honors, which Ohio yeah. State is just running the gamut here. Um, that, uh, you know, it's crazy. feels like we've worn it out just talking about the youth movement. So many young guys and freshmen even, redshirt freshmen, true freshmen, doesn't matter, uh, especially coming off of the COVID year with what they missed. But it's been remarkable what some of these guys are capable of. And obviously we know that there was a setback for Ohio State in week two, but the way that they're all growing up and maturing in a hurry – especially C.J. Stroud now that that shoulder is right. He's getting more comfortable mentally with the playbook and reading defenses and all that every week. Uh, this guy is is clearly on an upward trajectory, and it's fun to watch him. Like, it, it, I don't know why, like you said, it's a surprise. The guy was a five-star who won the Elite 11, and he was a little bit of a late bloomer, so it's not like there were maybe two or three years of coverage of his recruitment. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But uh, this guy came in with impeccable credentials, and is in an offense and, and playing for a coach who has proven he can get the most out of uh, pretty much any quarterback that that walks into that door. So you know, Stroud is just, you know, you, you kind of – after the early setback, you feel good for him that he's been able to have some of these moments, and, and now he's right back in the middle of that Heisman race. Yeah, I was going to say, even the, even the Ohio State loss this year, he still won freshman of the week for, after throwing for 484 yards, second most ever in a single game by an Ohio State football player. That's pretty yeah. crazy. <laughs> you know, and then speaking of the Heisman races, Bill Bender and I get into Spencer Rattler, I think, was almost the odds on favor, or at least among the among the favorites <laughs> to yeah. win that award and run away with that award. Possibly he gets replaced when uh, Oklahoma's getting their rear end beat by Texas and his backup comes in. You know, the young Fred, Fred Caleb comes in and uh, and uh, leads Oklahoma to one of the one of the great comeback wins in school history. So I would say the Heisman race is wide open. Right. Sitting right there now for C.J. Stroud to to walk through the door because, you know, and, and obviously they don't hand it to you in October, uh, and he's got his showcase opportunities ahead of him. But yeah. when you're talking about the potential for maybe top 10 Penn State, maybe top 10 Michigan State, maybe top 10 Michigan, yeah. Big Ten championship game against Iowa, you know, the stats are going to be there for him. And then the opportunities to lead Ohio State back from an early setback, grow up, mature, he's got – the pieces are there. Yeah, um, a, a story, an injury, a freshman, all these other things, you know that that catch the attention of voters, and and he'll have all that working for him. Got to win the games now. That's the step here. Got to stay healthy. So nothing is obviously guaranteed on October twelfth. But uh, boy, you can you can see it starting to line up for him. I was going to say you you just named him off a cavalcade of showcases. You know <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what he's looking at. I mean, yeah. wow. Hey. Uh, well, let's get right to my uh, uh, interview with uh, Michael Bennett. You know, member of that 2014 national championship team, 
key member of that team, you know, a outspoken young man uh, then and definitely now. But, uh, you know, uh, you had a good relationship with him, right? I'm trying to remember. You were around, right? I, I miss him. We had him for yes. a, about one year on, on Letterman Live, which was great to have him part of that crew and bringing that insight and his opinions. I mean, I, I love Mike Bennett. I miss him. I tried to get him to to stop pursuing law school and just hang around, hang around with me every Monday, but uh, it didn't work out. Free wings, huh? That didn't do it. Uh, wow. You know, it's hard to believe. You know, it's funny. He and I get into it real quick, but uh, uh, one of the reasons he's going to law school, I told him, you know, you can go to law school, not even become a lawyer, but it gives you more insight into what, you know, uh, what that terms of agreement are, you know, before you get your next cell phone. Maybe you understand them better than the average guy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, of course he's pursuing law school because that's the kind of interesting, curious dude he is. You know, but with, without further ado, let's get to my interview with Michael Bennett. And as promised, uh, a, not a blast from a long ago, but a blast a little bit from the past. Michael Bennett, welcome to the Tim May Podcast, finally, my man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's good to be here. Hey, man, this is, let's just get your take immediately right out of the shoot. I want to talk about you and where you are, what you're doing, et cetera, you know, down the line and stuff like this. But you're a, you're a guy from a 2014 national championship team. You know, you guys had up to now a lot of the same experiences this team is dealing with and just – Number one, before we kind of get into the minutia of it, uh, what is just sort of your, I don't know, message to Ohio State fans or people who are looking at this team right now and wondering uh, what's this all about? You know, we were talking about this a little bit before we got started here, but just kind of what's that message there, you know? Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers said it best a couple of years ago when he just said, relax. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was telling you, I didn't understand the panic that came um, – when on week one, when we played Minnesota and then when we played Oregon, I wasn't understanding really the vibe from Buckeye nation of, of the panic, you know, maybe people don't realize, you know, when you get a brand new quarterback, this is a pretty young team too. Um, every year now we're having a lot of guys go to the league, a lot of playmakers go to the league and it's hard to, to re up that year after year after year. I mean, there used to be a grace period where people are like, Oh, this is a rebuilding year. Yep. There's no more grace period for Ohio state Buckeyes. Um, but I saw in week one, we had a, a freshman quarterback, a young freshman quarterback who came out against a good Big Ten team. Minnesota, I don't know what their record is, but they're always a solid team. They do what they do well. Yeah. And that's gritty football. That's running the ball. And we looked good. That was a night game. That was bad weather. That was the first game of the season against a good Big Ten opponent. And we won and we performed pretty well. You know, there was obviously stuff to work out on the defense, but a lot about a lot of defense is knowing your teammates, knowing uh, your position, getting used to the ebbs and flows of games. And when you have new guys stepping into those roles, you know, it takes more than a summer camp to get them right. Um, and so to see them win, I felt very, very good about this team. Obviously, there was stuff that they had to work on. Every week, there's going to be stuff you have to work on. Um, but then the next week to go up against Oregon, which is a good team, you know, we ended up, we played them in the national championship my senior year. So I'm not going to fall off that far um, and lose that game at home. You know, that's not what we want, but that's week two. A week two loss doesn't matter. If we lost to a scrub team in week two, it wouldn't have mattered. But we lost to Oregon. So that matters even less. Um, and if you want to be reminiscent of my senior year, we lost to Virginia Tech, which I think won, what, four games? The rest of the season, three well, they got beat. Yeah, they got beat the next week. So what I remember, and uh, that's what I remember. So yeah, making us look bad. Yeah, so it's not like we got, we went out there and lost to a great, a perennial strong team. 
We lost to Virginia Tech, but it exposed a lot of the things we needed to work on. I'd much rather be exposed in week two than exposed in week 10. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is, is probably uh, an unpopular opinion, but I think if you're going to go and make a national championship run, it's almost better to lose within the first three weeks of the season because one, that puts a chip on your shoulder. It has people doubting you. It exposes what you're not good at. Uh, I think the biggest thing we took away from that Virginia Tech win was JT Barrett was a young quarterback and they were blitzing the heck out of him. JT ended up being amazing the rest of the season because he had been in the fire in week two. Um, And I think we saw something similar with this team. Now, the defense still obviously has stuff to work on, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find an offense that looks more explosive than the Ohio State Buckeyes right now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And CJ Stroud looks absolutely incredible i thought he looked incredible in the games that people were torching him in but <laughs> i mean his only i think his biggest complaint or my biggest complaint with cj stroud was he was overthrowing his receivers yeah that's something where you just say okay aim six inches lower there you go problem solved yeah. so it looks like he solved that problem yeah yeah it does look like he solved that problem also getting that week off to Literally, I think he spent a whole week where he never threw a ball because clearly there was something a little hitching his get along in his right shoulder and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, he referred to it uh, the other day when they after uh, after the win uh, this past weekend, he referred to it as a supernatural healing uh, he experienced, you know, uh, during that week off. And it's clear against Rutgers and uh, and Maryland, he's been a little bit different even throwing the ball. I mean, much more pinpoint, et cetera. Something definitely was bugging him. But I want to get to you with this, Mike. Mike, you know that uh, – after that second week, and they gave up some really kind of like fool me once, shame on on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of plays to Oregon. And Ryan Day, you know, in essence, shuffled his deck when he came to his coaching staff, shuffled the deck to a certain extent scheme-wise, you know, moving Kerry um, Combs out of the, you know, the defense calling area and moving Matt Barnes in. But they, that wasn't all they changed. I mean, they changed some scheme-wise more too high safety. Actually, they weren't hardly playing any too high safety, but all these little different changes they've made. What have you seen from that moment on that's been positive or, uh, I don't know, trending correctly for this Ohio State defense? Uh, people are definitely people are definitely much more precise about where they're supposed to be. And that's why I say, you know, it's, it's important to go through those crucibles early on because – if you just have better talent than everybody, you can get away with not playing your position well. You can get away with kind of doing your own thing and freelancing. But when you get embarrassed on a national stage early on, you know, that now the coach is yelling at you means something. It's not like, oh, well, you know, we're going to get it done. Like, no, no, this is what happens when you don't um, do your assignment. When you are out here thinking, oh, I don't really have to come off the edge. I don't really have to fill my gap. You lose. Yeah. And so – you know, obviously, yeah, like you said, they, they did some scheme changes. They did some um, coaching personnel changes. But once again, that's something you want to do in week two rather than in week seven and on. Um, but I see guys flying around. I see ball hawks. You, we're, we're now four games in or four games uh, in a row with a defensive yeah. touchdown. Yeah. That's, that's more than talent. That's people being in the right place at the right time, capitalizing on mistakes. That's not something that you just get from just – you know, being better than people that you have to be in the right spot to be able to capitalize on those mistakes. And so I think that points to more than anything that these guys are taking their coaching, they're flying around, it's team defense. um, And that's how you win championships. You know, you're not gonna, you shouldn't be expected to shut everybody out, especially when you have that 
uh, behemoth of an offense on the other side of the ball. But you should be expected to play your play your position well, uh, do your assignment and, you know, bet the whole bend don't break like the other team's going to score too. their division one opponents. But at the end of the day, they need to score less than our offense. And I think we're getting to a defense uh, that can consistently do that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, people, you know, people are looking at Georgia and wondering why every defense can't play like Georgia. You know, that's a little bit of a, an anomaly going on down there. You know, we'll see how the season goes with those guys. They are suff- suffocating. But uh, past that, I mean, this Ohio State defense has gotten better right in front of your eyes, you know, and pay attention to it, et cetera. Uh, by the way, who – who? but, you know, you just touched on a second ago. They've actually scored a defensive touchdown in five of their six games this year, including that Zach Harrison strip and Haskell Garrett returned for a touchdown. That's mm-hmm. – that's crazy, and especially the streak they're going on. And it was in jeopardy until Craig Young took one back late against Maryland, which is which was still winging it, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. reason in that game uh, uh, on Saturday in Ohio Stadium. But that that's a remarkable streak, isn't it? It's it's very hard to do. You can be a great defense. You can shut a team out and not score a defensive touchdown. Yeah. So, like I said, you have to be in the right place at the right time at this specific time that an opportunity arises, you know, so um, to see those guys, and it's always more than one person. It's it's rarely one person making a play to score a defensive touchdown. Even if you get an interception, you need your teammates blocking for you. You need uh, the guy who hit the receiver. You needed the guy who pressured the quarterback. All these different pieces come into play that shows a complete defense when you start getting that many defensive touchdowns. Yeah, and I may be speaking out of school here, but, for example, uh, two weeks ago when Denzel Burke had his pick, pick six against uh, Rutgers, he had lined up over his man, but they clearly were in the zone. He dropped into his third, didn't overreact when the ball was – when there was stuff going on in front of him, and bingo, bango, bongo, he ends up with the ball in his hands and a pick six. I mean, that, that's an example from a discipline standpoint of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the whole saying that football's a game of inches, I remember being in meeting rooms from college to the pros where they would point out, we told you to drop eight yards and two or two yards outside the hash. And they would point to it on the film. They said, you dropped one yard out the ha- outside the hash. The ball came two yards outside the hash. You missed a pick. It's those little minutia that can get that are the difference between defensive touchdowns or offensive touchdowns going against you. And when you start seeing guys take that seriously, take those details seriously, you see some special stuff happen. Is that crazy, though? You know, a lot of people think coaches are just mad scientists in a certain extent or whatever, but they've studied the game so intently that they mm-hmm. can point to those things, prepare you for those situations, and basically the idea is putting you in the right place at the right time. Now you go do your thing, right? I mean, that is that is amazing when you see it happen, isn't it? It's in, I think it's incredible because I was one of those people who's like, okay, you know, obviously I'm not required to drop. I hear coaches say, drop five yards and two yards outside the hash. Like, yeah, is that – why be that specific? This is football. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. But it's because the play callers tell them, run five yards, slant into the hash within two yards, and that's where the ball's going to be. So they know where the ball's going to be. It's hard to, to realize that as a young player, um, how specific this game can be. But I think what we're seeing is a belief amongst the defense, not only in their teammates but in their coaches. Um, and then that belief leads to – better attention to detail. It leads to more willingness to fly around even when you're tired. Um, it, it leads to, especially the trusting your teammates. If I don't feel like I've got to make up 
for what this guy's doing, then I can just focus on my job. And I know for, for me, that was the biggest thing that I felt at Ohio State was when I look to my left and my right, I know I don't have to worry about those guys doing their job. Yeah. I need to do what I do so that they can do what they do. And that was what led us to be able to really come on strong uh, defensively. Michael, you know, you're, you're one of those guys that I point to and don't just don't get all big headed here, but you can, but I mean, what really makes a defense go around, man? Are you guys down there? <laughs> and, you know, if you invented this game now and took it to uh, college administrators and said, we're going to play this game, you're going to give these guys scholarships, you know, and uh, hey, maybe even pay them down the road, let them have a little name, image, and likeness. But, but they're going to do this every time they, every time they get together, they're going to bang heads like you, you know, <laughs> they still bang heads in the offensive and defensive lines. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, this idea that they've taken the head out of football, you know, you're not really watching as closely as you should. But uh, um, talk about just that defensive line group. And then, you know, to see Haskell Garrett kind of laying there the other day and then helped off. And, you know, we're not sure what his situation is going forward. There, there's some thoughts that he might be back. I mean, he's a captain, you know, true leader of that defensive line, youngish defensive line group. But uh, just talk about what it takes to play in there week in and week out and and your thoughts on Haskell Garrett. So I, I've always felt that the defensive line, even when I was in high school and I wasn't playing much defensive line, I always wanted to be a defensive lineman because I always felt that those guys are the baddest dudes on the field. Yeah. Offense, defense, special teams, the defensive line are the baddest dudes on the field. Um, and I believe that you have to feel that way. You have to be that as a defensive lineman. Cause like you said, we're hitting every single play we're getting, we're taking on double teams. You know, if you're better, you're taking on triple teams. You have to be running. You have to be big and strong. I mean, you have to be mean and nasty to be a successful defensive lineman. Yeah. And we've been blessed at Ohio state for the last, however many years with a lot of mean and nasty and successful defensive linemen. Yeah. Um, and Haskell filled that role. Usually, since Larry Johnson's been there, our best defensive linemen have been the defensive ends. That's always been our guy that we look to when it's when the goings get, gets rough. We need a strip sack. All right, we need a defensive end to show up. Um, but right now, this year, that's Haskell Garrett. And that's even tougher because you can double-team an interior guy. And he's still been out there making plays and leading that defense. Um, and, you know, that's not even mentioning the, the stuff he went through uh, last year or two years ago now it might have been. Yeah, um, it was last the, year. Yeah, but last year shot be able to bounce back. Yeah. yeah, and be able to bounce back, be a leader, uh, be a playmaker. You know, it's one thing to be an emotional leader after being shot and come back. People see the effort. They respect that. But then to also be a playmaker still because undoubtedly – you know, there's some recovery time when you get shot, I would assume, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You're not going to just be in the weight room a day later. So it, it speaks to his talent. It speaks to his work ethic. It speaks to his willpower. Um, yeah. And then just watching him, you know, as a defensive tackle, I love to see defensive tackles just absolutely dominating people. And I don't watch – when I watch Haskell Garrett, I don't see him take a playoff. I don't see him really get beat very much, like – I was a good defensive tackle, but if you flipped on that tape, there'd be a couple of plays a game. We're like, all right, Michael, what are you doing? Um, and I don't see that from Haskell. So, you know, it's really sad to see him go down, not just for the Buckeyes, but for him and what he's been through. Um, the last thing you wanted to see was him happen to deal with an injury. And I'm not going to, like you said, we don't really know what he's dealing with right now. Right. Uh, so I'm not going to say 
it's it's the worst thing in the world but until we see what he's dealing with but um as a as a fan and as a former player as a guy who's been in that position i'm just praying for him and hoping that he can get back soon yeah i mean i did a story for lettermanrow.com uh, last week on just what that you know the uh, Rutgers hit a 75-yard touchdown, you know, uh, pass across the middle, the guy turned up the sideline. You know, you remember that play, Ohio State was in a, a defense that didn't really work against that. But uh, but bottom line is uh, the next play, Zach Harrison and Haskell Garrett double-teamed a guy, shoved him backwards, and Haskell Garrett blocked the extra point, just showing you what's he what he's all about. You know, I'm talking about the heart that he has, the, the drive for this team, et cetera. And uh, it was like almost like wagging your finger at Rutgers. Hey, no, no, you're not, you're not coming back, not against these guys. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, But I wanted to get your, your thoughts. Who has kind of caught your eye on that defensive front now? And I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of a leading question because, you know, of the guys who've really caught my eye, number 91, Tyleek Williams, that pure freshman, what does it take to play in the midst of all that as a freshman? I mean, just – and now he's probably going to be counted on more than he was and stuff. And, you know, obviously Antoine Jackson's like a six-year player out there running around who's been through the mill and, mm -hmm. and some – Teron Vincent and some of these other guys. But 91, Tyreek Williams looks unblockable sometimes and stuff. And just what's your impression of him as you, as you think on it? Yeah, you said he's a freshman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, all I think is – how I looked as a freshman for, versus how these freshmen look. Yeah. Um, it's hard to play, not just adjusting to the speed, but the size and the talent that you're going against from college or from high school to college. Um, it is, <laughs> I see it as unnatural to be able to just roll into co uh, college and be able to make plays and be dominant. Um, so to see somebody showing up more than once as a freshman, that's that should make Buckeye Nation, everybody get a little excited because – uh, now he gets a whole winter and spring and summer with Coach Marotti. Um, and his body's going to change. He's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. And he's learning the game. To be able to learn the game and get this many reps as a freshman is huge. Um, some of those older guys definitely are starting to look good. Um, I think it's a little unfair to be comparing the defensive ends. In my mind, I do it. But be to com comparing them to the Boses and the Chase Youngs and the Sam Hubbards and Tyquan Lewises and Jay – like. Jalen Holmes, Jalen Holmes. We've, had, yeah. we've had so many great defensive ends. Um, yeah. And I think our defensive ends now are good. Uh, I don't know. They're not at that level, but they're, they're definitely good. And with a guy like Haskell Garrett in the middle, um, they do their job well. I've been waiting to hear Jack Sawyer's name called more. I heard a lot about him um, last year coming in and, you know, he was supposed to be this world beater. Um, but he's another freshman who – you can tell week in and week out, he's getting a little bit better. He's yeah. getting there. I was watching his technique last week or yesterday, um, and I can see it coming along. You know, he's got the build. But once again, you get these young guys into a whole six months of just getting in that weight room after actually getting playing time. I think they're going to be a problem in the next couple of years. Yeah, and freshman JT Tuimoloau, number number forty four, been playing on the end too. I mean, he's been, he's a regular. I mean, he's been a regular since. Yeah since week one, really, but definitely since week two and stuff. And, uh, you know, like you said, man, you're, you're leaning in that, in that defense, you're leaning on so many guys who are freshmen, Richard freshmen and or veterans who've played, who haven't played that much. And that, like you were referring to at the beginning of this, you got to give a recipe that like that time to come together. Right. Yeah, definitely. And that's, 
another reason why I wasn't really panicking early on this season when our defense was struggling. We've got young guys. You know, we've got a lot of young guys who got to get used to the speed. They have to get used to working with their teammates. They have to get used to hearing the calls from behind them, looking over to the sideline, adjusting on the field. That's stuff that you don't do in high school. You know, you don't have to have all of those moving parts in high school. Usually, if you're a guy that's playing at Ohio State, you're just better than everybody. So you just go out there and you just go be better than everybody, and that's enough. But in college, you know, you have to be a part of the team. Um, so I'm excited to, to see these guys develop. I'm excited even by the end of the year. They're going to be entirely different players than they were in week one. Yeah. Um, and we're starting to see that. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing how these guys progress because we have a lot of young talent on that defense. I was going to say, and a guy I want you to address too, I mean, he's flashed more and more the last several weeks. He was a running back this time a year ago, number 22, Steel Chambers. I mean, mm-hmm. he has come along at the right time for that sort of beleaguered uh, linebacker room to begin the season. You know, they had two guys leave the leave the program in the last, uh, you know, last two weeks, you know, with, uh, as you well know, with Dallas Gant and Kevon Pope. Kevon Pope mm-hmm. left it in the middle of a game. <laughs> but, uh, but I digress. But uh, Steel Chambers, man. Yeah, you know, we're we're all we're semi joking with him, man. If you'd moved to linebacker when you first showed up at Ohio State, where would he be? Because he's playing. He looks like a linebacker, doesn't he? So you know, I mean, Darren Lee came in as a quarterback. Yeah. If you got, we need speed at linebacker, and I don't think we've really had that for a little while. And then you need somebody who can obviously play their position, like do what we tell you to do, and then you have to be not afraid to hit. Those are the three requirements for a linebacker at Ohio State. Um, and I think Steel Chambers is one of those guys who has that. Now, it's we'll see. I, from what I've seen, I love seeing him in that position. He's a big guy. He's athletic. He's fast. And I haven't seen him shy away from hits. Yeah. Um, but that can be that missing piece that you have, that just guy that can go sideline to sideline that we've had uh, for a little while now. I, I Well, I'd say the main guys that I remember who were doing that were Shazier, Darren Lee, and Raekwon. That wasn't his role, but that's what he did. Yeah. Um, and then since then, you know, we've had good linebackers, uh, but we haven't really had that guy who can cover the field. And I think Steele has the opportunity to be that person, you know. But once again, this is his first year at linebacker. So it's yeah. – is he a, a sophomore? Uh, no, no, he's a what? He's a junior, I think. By now, he's been he's been there for a while, you know, and uh, okay. and he had a tough go of it last year. Had a couple of fumbles, et cetera, on offense, and, yeah. and then you looked at the running back room, and especially the young man they brought in, Travion Henderson. I'm going to ask you about in a second, but uh, mm-hmm. you know the you know Master Teague still sitting there, Mayan Williams, uh, you know another freshman, Evan Pryor. You know, it was, there were a lot of guys to go through that turnstile to get to the number one, you know, and uh, at linebacker, they clearly needed bodies as much as they needed, you know, good players. And he made that move. By the way, the reason I like him is uh, one of the reasons I like him is when he's just talking to us, he looks like a beefier version of the late artist known as Prince. You know, he just has that kind of a cool look to him and kind of a gentle way of talking. I mean, it's interesting to, to then see that guy do a form tackle right in the gap, you know, right in the hole. It's just, you know, you guys are, you're interested. It's always been interesting to me how you can switch it on, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I was a big fan of Steel Chambers at running back. But then, like you said, he had a couple of those fumbling things. And when you're when you're dealing with that stiff of a competition at running back and you fumble two or three times, yeah. you know, that's that's tough to recover from. But every time he ran the ball, he ran hard. He obviously wasn't scared of contact. He was obviously athletic and explosive. 
So I think it was natural to see him go to linebacker. I'm, I'm, I love that the coaches did it. And more than anything, it's a testament to him to make that transition. That's not, you know, those are polar opposite uh, positions, but he doesn't have to worry about fumbling the ball at linebacker. Um, he, he just fought there and played his position and hit people. And I, I think, if he, yeah, if he sticks with it, I think he could be something special. Cause fumbles, you know, that's the, the deal. Exactly. I mean, hey, real quick, I, I want to keep you all day. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, though, um, Trevion Henderson, just your impressions, you know, number 32, as I, as I told him, that's the number Jim Brown wore, you know, and I'm not alluding. I mean, I think every running back's different, just like, like all, all you defensive backers are different, but you know where I'm going. Uh, but he looks like a classic big-time running back, and he's you got the idea he's only going to get a little bit bigger and a little bit better, you know, as he goes along and stuff. But, uh, you know, you've you've seen young guys come along and, and stuff. What just jumps out at you about him? And what would you be wary of if you were playing defensive against a guy like that these days? He's a special player. So I don't, I don't follow recruiting too close. You know, I listen to what Beam will tell me if somebody's coming in. Yeah. Um, and he mentioned Travion a couple times. But in my mind, what I always tell Beam is, you know, prove it. I don't care what you were in high school. That means literally nothing unless you can do it in college. Um, he's doing it. He's proven it. I, I've, I'm blown away every time I watch him. He's somehow somebody who can combine speed. Like, okay, you can come in your fast. That's fine. You can combine strength, which is rare for a freshman, especially at running back. You're not afraid to get hit, which is also, you know, that's, I wouldn't say very rare, but like, yeah. Don't, don't take that for granted. These hits aren't just little. Um, yeah. And then he's shifty, and he's got vision at, uh, as a freshman. It's, it's mind-blowing to me to see him approach the line, immediately understand where the gap is, go to the gap, and then change direction at full speed while stiff-arming somebody. That's not something that is just usually natural to people. That's like – that was Ezekiel Elliott late in his sophomore year. Yeah. And Travion's doing that in the first half of his freshman year. And, you know, that's not a shot at Zeke. Zeke is absolutely incredible. Zeke was incredible as a freshman, but he was a freshman. He did what, you know, a really good freshman running back is expected to do. So to see where Travion Henderson is, all you can hope is that he can stay humble and keep the grind that got him where he is um, as he goes forward, because he's going to see a lot of success. He already has. um, And that success can kind of, you know, get you to think, oh, well, you know, I don't need to do the extra reps anymore or whatever, but this guy, I don't know anything about his personality. I would assume Ryan Day's out here recruiting great people, Um, but he's exciting to watch. He's hard to believe when you look at him, you're like, that's not a true freshman. Cause once again, next year, he's going to that weight room for six months. He's going to be with his coaches learning about. So he's going to be, he's reviewing tape every week to get better and better and better. Um, And, you know, I want to be clear He's blessed with an incredible offensive line this year. He's yes. blessed with incredible receivers who the defense has to respect. So, you know, we have to take that into account that he's not the one shouldering the full burden of Ohio State. Um, but he's capitalizing on every opportunity that O-line gives him. He's capitalizing on every every breakdown that defense gives him. And that's hard to see for a lot of really good running backs. Yeah. You know, and as I like to say, and you kind of said this in so many words a minute ago, he's got that wiggle, man. He's got that wiggle to him that turns a maybe a form tackle in the hole by a, a, a defender into an arm tackle, and then he can run through those sometimes. I mean, you know, you know, he's got that, and, he's got that wiggle at full speed. 
Yes. That's the, like, you can see that wiggle in just one step while he flips his hips at full speed. And that is incredible. Yeah. And it, you know, kind of like an, kind of like a really good musician, some stuff you learn, some stuff you just do. Why can you do it? Who knows? You know, you feel it's, it. Yeah. Yep. Hey, real quick. Yep. Uh, one thing and, and, and move on, because I want to ask what you're up to. But, uh, you know, Brandon Beam is who you were talking talk about a while ago, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Brandon Beam works, works for uh, 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 97.1 The Fan. And, uh, you know, I've been on his show many times, Morning Juice. Michael, you, you've been on there, whatever. He's one of the great guys out there. Beamer, as we call him. Uh, but the bottom line is I, I'm looking at this offensive line, and one play in particular just jumped out at me. Thayer Munford went back into the game after limping out for a little while. And he and Nicholas Petit Frere sitting there, left guard, left tackle, left guard. And uh, uh, Maryland ran a stunt at him. Basically the guy came inside, the other guy looped around and came at Thayer. And, you know, I just see something sometimes it just sticks with you like, boy, was that a veteran move by these two guys? And the guy comes around looping, thinking, thinking he's going to have a free run at uh, C.J. Stroud, and he literally ran into a brick wall, which was Thayer Munford waiting for him. To see that switch off by these mm-hmm. guys and to pick something like that up, you know, that's just a, another example of veteran linemen getting better right in front of your eyes, right? Definitely. Uh, those are hard to pick up. Um, and this offensive line, you know, they look the part. I think this is one of the more – physically imposing offensive lines we've had in a while. Yeah. Um, But then to also be able to, you know, they've all had some time together also to figure out how each other works or, you know, what the trade-offs are. Um, So to see them working together, a a complete offensive line. And then, like you said, you've got the veteran guys on there who are undoubtedly leading the squad. Um, It's dangerous when you have a bunch of guys like that. I was watching them last week and I don't know the offensive linemen's names as well as uh, some of these defensive guys, but all I could think was like, this guy's, these guys are huge yeah. and they look athletic and they can move well. And they're, you know, they're not making that many mistakes. I don't know what the, the yeah. stats are on how many penalties they have, but it's not a lot. Yeah. Um, which I, I remember when I was in college, you know, especially my early years, our offensive line was guaranteed a, a good two or three penalties a game. <laughs> um, but then, you know, as we got a little further into it, we started getting into that whole, the slobs and everything. And those guys really kind of uh, – those guys set the standard for what an Ohio State offensive line should be. Absolutely. And I haven't seen that slack since I've been gone. Yeah. Um, but I think that this offensive line really kind of takes the cake. They're, they've been very, very impressive um, early on. You know, C.J. Stroud, he, he's, he should also be thankful as a freshman quarterback that he has time back there to really think things through. And, you know, sometimes he's got to run around a little bit, but such is the game. Um, but I think this offensive line is, is at the moment the thing that holds this team together. You know, obviously we have the talent at receiver. We've got the talent at quarterback. Tight, our tight ends are unbelievable. Every, but we've got so much talent. But none of that is accessible without an offensive line that we have. Yeah, I call that, I call that putting C.J. Stroud into the greatest sports car, one of the great sports cars you can buy. And, but he's got to learn how to drive it. He's got to learn if I hit this button what that does. If I, if I shift into third here, what what happens? You know, it's like a classic situation, and you're seeing him, man. I'm not saying he's Lewis Hamilton yet, you know, Formula One, but uh, you're seeing him drive it a little bit better every week and stuff. And uh, real quick, uh, before I get on you, uh, the, that wide receiver group, uh, you're a guy that played the game 
at the highest level and stuff. But what a collection, right? I mean, uh, can you put into words, you know, you kind of talked about it a minute ago, but Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and that's just the starters. Uh, what a collection, right? What? Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, what other words do you have for it? I, you can't, I literally, I am lost for words when I think about that receiver room because those are all first round receivers. Yeah. And, you know, I, in my personal opinion, they're high first round receivers. Um, and we've had a lot of great receivers at Ohio State. Yeah. That's, you know, that's kind of what we've been. And then um, ever since Coach Hartline got there, it's been at a whole different level. But to have that many guys, like we saw what young man's name, Jameson Williams. Yeah. He, he can't make it at Ohio State. And then he goes to Alabama and he is their best receiver. And yeah. once again, saying he can't make it at Ohio State is not a knock against him. He genuinely could not beat out the guys in front of him because of how talented they are. But you can see that this man is special. Yeah. So I think that speaks to just what we're dealing with. And that's from Chris Olave's a senior. Garrett Wilson's a junior, I think. Yeah. And then. Um, well, no, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's going to be. Yeah. Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Go ahead. Garrett Wilson's a yeah. junior. Yes. Yeah. And Jack then Jack was a sophomore. Yeah. yeah. Sophomore. And then we have a couple other guys who are freshmen who don't see the field much, but when they do, they are unbelievable as well. So make egg Buka, man, he's coming at you loud and clear, you know, mate, they're amazing. Yeah. So, um, and it's more than just talent, right? Like, yeah. you know, obviously they have the speed, they have the body control to track down these uh, passes, but there are other guys who you can tell are students of detail. They are out there doing the little things. They're doing the toe touches. They're doing, um, they're, they're routing people up at a whole different level. It's one thing to go up and moss somebody. It's a whole nother thing to leave that person wondering where you are. And yeah. we have a whole bunch of receivers that do that. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, what are you up to? Speaking of people that do things, what are you up to these days, man? Where are you headed? What, what's up? I mean, obviously you played in the league for a while. You got banged up like everybody does, right? You either in the, in the national football league, you either retire or somebody tells you to retire or your body tells you to retire. Right. <laughs> yeah, there aren't, too, there aren't too many options on, on how to end. And, and most of us usually don't retire just because we're done with football. You know, yeah. it's a fun sport to play. So there are a few uh, parades. Can, there are a few parades out there. Let's put it that way. Now go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> usually it's because someone told you to or, or that someone was your body who said, all right, man, enough yeah. is enough. And uh, I was the latter where it was just, you know, I would get I got one too many injuries. And I was like, all right, you know, what are we doing? We need to we need to transition. So um I decided to transition and I'm out in Maryland right now and going to law school at Howard. Um, yeah. Did a whole, a complete different route. I figured I'd see what else there, there is out there. Well, let me, let me just say this. I am absolutely not surprised. You know, <clears throat> I say this about everybody I have on my podcast, but you are one of my favorite guys I ever ran into covering Ohio state football. I mean, cause you know, you guys are all different in your own way and stuff. And, and, and what, what really impresses me about Ohio state now and there were a lot of guys like this on your team, but man, almost every one of these guys are well-spoken, you know, fairly, really intelligent. You know, I'm not going to say fairly intelligent. That would be, that wouldn't even be me, but I mean, intelligent dudes who can talk to you about things other than football, like Trevion Anderson has been into the stock market now for many years, for several years and stuff. And he and I are even kind of hot on one, one stock we have in common. I mean, I just ran talked about it the other day, so I won't bring his name up because I'm not here to give stock tips, but uh, it's really an interesting group. And you were, you were like that from the get go and stuff. And I thought you maximized for the most part, your college stay. What was your, 
what was your take on what you got out of Ohio State, if you're following me there? I mean, did you – you know, obviously football takes up so much of your time and stuff, but did, you, you made a lot of friends there. You had brought a lot of friends. You didn't forget your old friends like Brandon, you know, but, but speak on that, man. Yeah, I think that was definitely something that I've been blown away, blown away by when I start seeing these young guys come in. They, you know, they're definitely a lot more mature than I was. Um, and I felt like when I was in college, I always had that understanding. You know, a lot of this was because I faced an injury early on in high school that kind of lets you know, like, this isn't forever. Yeah. Eventually football's going to end and then there's going to be a whole lot of life left to live, um, which is what made me focus on my studies, which is what always had me wondering, okay, uh, what should I be thinking about for when football's done? And, you know, that doesn't take away from how much effort you put into football. It's just that knowledge that at some point, this isn't going to be your life anymore. Um, <laughs> and there seems to be not even just, oh, what, what are we going to do when football's done by these new guys? But, um, they're understanding how to leverage football for when football's done. Um, and that was something that I don't even think I fully appreciated uh, until, you know, sometime after college was, you know, okay, there is an after football, but that doesn't mean that everything that you did during football doesn't play a role in that. But these young guys, they get in freshman year and they have an understanding of how to network. They have an understanding of, um, what kind of careers are available to them They're And, you know, that's a testament to the coaching staff at Ohio state, the support staff at Ohio state, uh, the guys that they're recruiting. Uh, but it, it's absolutely amazing to me um, to see these guys, not just networking, not just focusing on their studies, but also they've got, a lot of them have charities already. Um, a lot of them are out in the community by themselves, not meaning like, you know, with Ohio State, we did char charitable stuff, but usually it was as a team put on by the team. Yeah. Um, a lot of these guys are taking their own initiative to start their own uh, organizations. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, that is mature stuff for yeah. a young man. So, yeah. um, name, image, and likeness rights have brought that along, you know? I mean, you're going to, yeah. as a lawyer, you're going to really, you're going to be immersed in that eventually. But I mean, you know, I mean, you know, in the middle of July, or July changed everything in that regard. I mean, you've got guys there now with uh, with uh, sponsorship deals, et cetera. You know, we all know Quinn Ewers is worth mm -hmm. over a you know, million bucks right now. He's a the quarterback who came in early and walked away from his high school situation in Dallas at South Lake Carroll High School because the um, University Interscholastic League down there didn't allow high school students to take advantage of name, image, and likeness. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it is what it is. But yeah, the, the, the world is changing big time for these guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I touched on it, but um, yeah. when I was, when I was early in college and the guys that were before me, we were there to play football. You know, we, we you, you go to classes and you take your studies seriously. If you're one of the guys that really like believes in that, but a lot of it was just kind of, we're just guys out there playing football and going to class and staying eligible. Yeah. And we'll, yeah, we'll figure it out when we figure it out. Yeah. But nowadays, um, like you said, the name, image and likeness stuff, but then just the expectations of a collegiate athlete, uh, especially at bigger programs are, I mean, you're an NFL, you're, you're not an NFL player, but you're a professional football player. Now yeah. you're getting paid. Companies are tying their names to you. You got to behave differently than, um, than my years. I had to behave differently than the guys that, came before when there weren't smartphones and uh, we hadn't gotten in trouble for tattoos and stuff like that. So 
Yeah. You know, my, yeah, my year was a little bit more scrutiny, but nowadays you're, you're a public figure. Yeah. It's crazy, man. The world is a changing. And then there's a transfer portal, which we won't get, get into now. I'm, I'm getting into that with you next time I have you on. But Michael, man, I really appreciate you joining the Tim May podcast, my man. I'm happy to be here. I always like talking to you, Tim. Thanks for I know that. On. I know, man. You and I, we could we could have our own 10-hour radio show every day, and you could still go to law school, you know? We could yeah, we could hash out yeah. what's going on, you know, the the paper chase that you're dealing with. You know, all those now is more like a tablet chase, I, I would imagine, right? Or uh, uh but uh, oh, hey, real, there's no more paper, it's all digital. Yeah, exactly. Real I was gonna say real quick, uh, what do you what intrigues you most? Why a lawyer? Why do you want to get into the legal profession? I mean, everybody, hey, let me wait. Let me interrupt you. Everybody's in the legal profession. They just don't know it. You know, they need somebody to speak for them. But go ahead now. I, that is honestly, that's a big part. Is I've always been fascinated by all of these rules that govern us that I never really understood. Yeah. Um, and when I was thinking, I've always wanted to go back to school. You know, I always wanted to get a higher education. Um, and I'm not really cut out. Like, I don't know if you remember, but when I came into college, I wanted to be a doctor. Yes. Um, and so was when I was thinking about, well, what should I go back to school for chemistry? You know, that's for some people. It ain't for me. Um, but I read a lot. I'm always curious about, um, like I said, what governs us, what the rules are. You see everything that matters when it comes to policy decisions and all that kind of stuff is usually governed by somebody who either went to law school or has a strong lawyer behind them. Um, and so I wanted to be in that world and see what that was about. Gotcha. Well, I'm definitely having you on again and again and again. I mean, but, uh, Michael, once again, man, thanks for joining the Tim May podcast. Thank you, Tim. Have a great one. I'll say this again. Uh, awesome. Uh, Michael Bennett never, never disappoints when you have a chance to speak with him. Correct. Yeah, correct. I, I love Mike Bennett. Uh, I wish him nothing for the best. When I said that earlier, I, I knew that there was no chance somebody as bright as him was going to turn down a chance to go pursue more education. Uh, we were lucky to have him around for one extra year to, to talk ball. And, and obviously we can uh, track him down pretty easily if we need to, but yeah. just he knew in 2014, uh, you know, what kind of guy this was and the leader he was, why so many people respect him and look to him on the way to a, a title. I mean, they don't make a lot of dudes like Mike Bennett. Yeah. And he knew he'd have an opinion, you know, <laughs> on things. I, that's the reason I reached out for it to him too, you know, along with the fact that I really like him a lot. And I like his, uh, his former roommate, Brandon Beam, as I told him, I said, you know, I would have fit in that little house they lived in, you know, all together in a couple of other dudes. Uh, Cause uh, I get to all their jokes and I could even tell a few, you know, and, uh, and uh, it would have been a good time, but then he said, he agreed. I would have fit into that, but, uh, but I digress as usual. Hey, Got a conversation coming up now with Bill Bender of the Sporting News, sportingnews.com. And like we talked about earlier, what a wasn't a wacky weekend, but it was sort of a uh, put, the, put the dominoes possibly in the, in the right order kind of weekend when Alabama, which has not looked like the juggernaut it was a year ago during that COVID year, uh, finally gets his come up and said Texas A&M and kind of throws everybody into a tizzy and Georgia keeps on rolling with a win over Auburn. Uh, you know, I'm talking about the national scene, which you know always starts with the SEC, obviously. But then uh, uh, the big, yeah. But then the Big Ten scene, you know, with Iowa uh, beating a, a Penn State, which lost Sean Clifford in the middle of that game, and could muster no offense when it needed to with the backup quarterback. Uh, 
just get your take real quick before we go into my uh, uh, little interview here with uh, Bill Bender. It was kind of one of those uh, trend-setting uh, weekends, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was, and and a reminder of how difficult it is to win college football games. But, yes, you know, uh, it's not uh, not revisionist history, and it doesn't mean that Alabama is not good enough to respond from that. They're dealing with, you know, some youth and inexperience from you know what happened on that great veteran team they had a year ago and have to replace it the same way Ohio State did. I think that you can include Clemson in this conversation as well. Uh, many of the top teams, I think the reason that you're finding it so hard from week to week is that uh, the best teams that had NFL caliber players that didn't need to stick around and boost their stock or, or whatever else leave after last year, well, it's hard to replace those guys in any year, but the ones that were behind them are missing practice time, game time, reps, experience, yeah. all that. And these other, a lot of these other programs, you look at someone like Iowa right now or Minnesota that played Ohio State in week one that have like, you know, 50, 60 seniors and, and old veteran players on their team that came back with something to prove and, and boost their own stock or compete for a division title or whatever. The reason is, I mean, they have a lot more experienced players and it's not an excuse. I just think it's an interesting dynamic because we know that that's part of the situation for Ohio State that they're going through. I can see that from the outside looking at Alabama that they're going through some of the same stuff and those players are going to get way better and potentially could still win the SEC and go to a college football playoff again. And, and who knows what happens from there. But um, I think that this year in particular, that's kind of tightened it up. And yeah. you see that on a weekly basis with some of the results that have come down. Yeah. Take nothing for granted. I think that's the theme this year, you know, and uh, you know, even, even Georgia is playing ridiculous defense right now, but uh, you know, is that backup quarterback really the guy that's going to take him to the promised land or was JT Daniels, even the guy that's going to take him to the promised land that, that, that is yet to be seen. So, uh, tell you what, we'll come back and we'll get into even a little bit more about that because I do want to get your takes on a lot of that stuff, uh, more takes on a lot of that stuff. But first, let's get to my little interview here with Bill Bender, as I call him, the, an irregular member of the Tim May podcast. <laughs> Unlike you, Awesome, who's a regular member, except when you go on hiatus, extended yeah. hiatus. But let's get to Bill Bender. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, another guest, I mean another visit by my irregular guest, Bill Bender of the Sporting News, sportingnews.com. Bill Bender, welcome back. I know you knew the way to the Tim May podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tim. Good to see you again. Good to talk to you. Well, heading into week seven here. Hey, so did you spend uh, Sunday and even this morning, you know, as we record this on Monday, rubbing your eyes, like trying to get a refocus on what the uh, national scene is all about after the big upset at uh, College Station the other night and uh, what the Big Ten scene is all about after – uh, Iowa prevailing over Penn State when Penn State lost Sean Clifford. I mean, uh, the world has changed in uh, in the last uh, uh, 72 hours, correct? Yeah, well, yesterday I took my son down to the Packers-Bengals game. So I watched two kickers miss a bunch of field goals. And, uh, Crazy. Yeah, it was quite an experience for Grant and I, a couple Green Bay fans, and uh, to get out of there and survive the jungle and then start to drive home and think about that picture that you were talking about. And yeah, I mean, it, it's wild. Um, what to do now that Alabama finally lost? I always joke that the season doesn't start until they lose, and now they have, in fact, lost. And uh, what that means for them, I think they got to win out. You know, yeah. is anybody going to score consistently, consistently on Georgia? That's another big question. And then the Big Ten race, which is captivating. I mean, I still think Ohio State's sitting there with the one loss, but I, I really believe they're the team to beat in a lot of ways. 
you know, you can hear the foghorns going off right now uh, in this foggy strait uh, as these ships are going by. You can hear, you can vis envision uh, two Titanic collisions uh, on uh, basically conference championship weekend, Alabama versus Georgia. Alabama, the one that has to win definitely uh, to maintain where, where it wants to go. And, of course, Ohio State-Iowa, uh, Ohio State has to win based on what we're seeing right now. You know, Iowa's sitting there number two in the country, Georgia number one in the country, and Ohio State and Alabama, well, Alabama and Ohio State, uh, fifth and sixth, respectively, in the major polls. And you got to figure that's the kind of the way it would go down if the college football playoff was being decided today, you know, with Oklahoma and Cincinnati still unde undefeated and sitting there in the uh, three and four spots, depending on which poll you're looking at. But uh, – Boy, if these if these if these four teams I just talked about, I'm talking about uh, Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Iowa uh, maintain their current course. That, that could be a hell of a day, couldn't it? For sure. And, you know, I think that's the big. Well, I mean, we've got a long way to get there, Tim. Uh, no, I know. I, no, I, that's a given. Yeah. But go ahead. Well, no, I agree. But so here's what I told somebody last week. And we can start with Georgia, Alabama. All of us national media just kind of assume, okay, they're both in the playoff. They're both in the playoff. And the second we do that, we did this two years ago, and then Georgia went down to South Carolina and lost. Yeah. Remember that? I think it may have been a home game that they lost. Yeah. And it threw that idea off. And now Alabama, you know, they, they ran into a trap game. They played that game the whole time. Like, I think we all assumed, oh, Alabama's going to win. And then it gets to a point in the fourth quarter where you're like, Okay, I mean, A&M's got this. So I think that throws off the two idea that two SEC teams can make the playoff. I mean, Alabama has to win, and maybe they both do. Or maybe Georgia's just that good. And then on the Big Ten, I think I look at it as a step-by-step -step process. What Iowa did, great. But I think some of that was uh, spoiled a little bit isn't the right word. But when Sean Clifford goes down, I just assumed Iowa would win. And the next date I have on my calendar circled is October 30th when Penn State goes to Ohio State, uh -huh. and then up north you've got this uh, potential for a showdown between an unbeaten Michigan State and an unbeaten Michigan team. And I'm telling you, Tim, I don't know how much you've watched them, but Michigan State's really good. Let me interrupt what they've you. got on offense. I've been calling this Michigan State surge since before the season started because no team improved itself more in the offseason from the transfer portal, et cetera, and just – Mel Tucker being there for a year than Michigan State did. So I am, I, I'll be honest with you, I am not surprised. Everybody wants to poo poo the, uh, the win at Miami a couple of weeks ago. Well, Miami's not as good as it, you know, as, as you thought it was going to be, but uh, that, that has nothing to do with it. I mean, Kenneth Walker, that, that whole group, I mean, they're, they're exciting to watch right now. And I agree 100%. I mean, and be honest with you, who saw Michigan being undefeated at this point? You know, I mean, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but, uh, yeah, the Big Ten East is a real deal, right? Well, and I think with – so Michigan State, what they have with Mel Tucker in his second season, they have a dominant running game with Kenneth Walker. Yep. They've got two really good receivers and a good quarterback decision maker. This is the same formula that Mark D'Antonio used. I don't think their defense is as good as what the ones that D'Antonio had that gave Ohio State fits there for a while. But they're a, they're a team that's not going to be afraid. And then Michigan, what they're doing – they won two games the last two weeks that they previously didn't win. And we can say Wisconsin is what they are. That's fine. But they hadn't won there in 20 years. 
Correct. And I was thinking, you know, most of us were probably thinking when Nebraska took the lead Saturday night, okay, well, the Huskers are going to pull this out. We're all going to rip on Jim Harbaugh, but they found a way to win. They have a good running game. I think he made outstanding hires. Do I think they're ready for Ohio State? I'll put it to you this way. I think they need to continue to work J.J. McCarthy in because at quarterback, he may give them a better chance throwing the ball down the field against Ohio State and playing catch up or keep up or whatever you want to call <laughs> yeah. than Cade McNamara will. <coughs> and that's been the difference in those games for the last how many years, Tim? Yeah. What's been one of the biggest differences between Ohio State and Michigan? has been the quarterback position. Yeah. yeah. And, and plus, Ohio State's uh, – Ohio State continuing to pound the ball inside also just to make it, uh, you know, to get that running game going. You're exactly right. They, Ohio State has had just a more uh, robust offense, for for one, for one to, to borrow a Woody Hayes phrase. But uh, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, Michigan has not had that well-balanced offense, at least in the big games. And, you know, a quarterback you could count on to, in essence, make that throw or make that play when you really need it. I mean, it, it has come down to that uh, pretty much, right, Bill? For sure. And, you know, Ohio State, for all the consternation about C.J. Stroud, I mean, the last two weeks, he's looked pretty good. (laughs) I mean, they are still the one team, and I've said this for like three weeks now, that offensively, with the firepower they have at receiver, with Wilson and Olave, Jackson Smith-Jigba, they've got a couple more, you know. (laughs) They've got so many options at receiver. Travion Henderson's emergence – you're going to see some midseason All-American teams be put out over the next few weeks, and Henderson will be a candidate to do that. So Sounds like you have inside knowledge there, but go ahead. But, well, you know, we've got one of those teams as well. So I, I think everything Ohio State has on the offensive side of the ball is built to challenge an Alabama and a built, built to challenge maybe Georgia. I, I think the most fascinating matchup universe-universe for me right now would be seeing how Ohio State's offense would do against Georgia's defense, which Georgia's defense right now is playing at one of those absurd levels that you don't see very often. I mean, they've only given up two offensive touchdowns all year. Yeah, that's that's unheard of. That's like the old – that's like the, 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 you know, the great teams from the 30s and 40s and 50s that would hold teams to like 30 points all year. You know, I think Woody Hayes had one of those teams, you know, at one point uh, in the 70s. I mean, it was it was crazy. Uh, but here's the thing I've been pointing out. I, I remember making this comment to a couple of guys in the press box on Saturday during the Ohio State game is that uh, Alabama is not a juggernaut this year. It is not a juggernaut. I mean, it does not have that. Now, it could have by the end of the year a – shut down great defense. It does not have a great defense. And as I've said all along, Bill, to beat Alabama, you've, you've got to go into the game not only capable of throwing, but willing to throw and then throwing the ball. I mean, forget about it. Calzada, man, that, you know, in essence, backup quarterback for Texas A&M. Wow, it's hard to believe that guy was a backup because he was on point when he needed to be and made some huge throws in that game, pinpoint throws, even when he came off the – you know, came back from uh, getting banged up. I mean, that was an her- a heroic uh, performance by him. And then the Texas A&M, uh, Texas A&M as a whole, I mean, you, that was that was kind of cool to watch. I was there for that uh, Texas A&M-Alabama game two years ago at Cal Field. I was there live with my buddy Jeff Snook. And, you know, Alabama in the second half just rolled right over those guys. And uh, definitely, if you remember one of our conversations in preseason, I, I saw Texas A&M as the dark horse team in that uh, SEC West. And, of course, I come out of that looking like egg with egg on my face after they lose two games, including to Texas A&M, including to Arkansas. Uh, 
well, maybe they're not ready yet, but that's a team that has definitely improved. And uh, I didn't see that as that much of a fluke on Saturday night. How'd you, how did you look at it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was one of those deals where I think Alabama, and I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now, so unfortunately I don't have the numbers, but I feel like they rely too much on the pass where they throw the ball a lot. And I don't know what their run-pass ratio is, but – and Brian Robinson has come on in the running game, but they fell behind early. And then yeah. when they fall behind, you're relying so much on a redshirt freshman quarterback in Bryce Young to throw the ball around. And then, you know, when you get in a game against a team like Texas A&M, who despite the two losses is still very talented on both sides – these things can happen. So I, I just think it proved that Alabama was human. And we kind of saw that against Florida. They aren't oh, the yes. same team, right? They're not the same team they were to uh, last year. Yeah. But they're still very talented. I, I think now the question is, are they going to do kind of what Ohio State did as you get your loss? And ever since Ohio State's lost, the defense has improved traumatic, or, uh, dramatically. The offense has pr- improved a great deal. And um, here, so I pulled it up. So they've – They've rushed the ball here. They have 217 rush attempts, 205 passing attempts. I don't – maybe I'm off then. So No, you're not – here's what you're not off. I mean, they got behind uh, on Saturday night, and they threw the hell out of the ball. I mean, right. uh, Alabama, they had, you had to do that. I mean, you, even against Florida, they did a similar thing. You know what I mean? They had to throw the ball. And uh, so, but and that's like Ohio State. The great thing about the, the really great teams, and we've talked about this before, is – they have the capability of throwing the ball when they have to and throwing it at a high level, you know, and, and Bryce Young will be better, you know, six games from now than he was the other night. That's for sure. But I'll tell you what, I mean, the wrecking crew, the, you know, Texas A&M defense got after them too, you know, and uh, the running and then Texas A&M with that running back spiller and, uh, and then their quarterback Calzada, they got after them with a really balanced attack and, you know, made you scratch your head. This is not, like I said, this is not that great Alabama defense you've been used to seeing off and on. And, you know, they've, they did improve last year's year went on, but that was such a, a strange year. You know, they went into the game with Ohio state and they had what 11 or 12 or 12 or 13 games where they about Ohio state had half of that, you know, <laughs> and the team right. that looked like it was more experienced played that way, but go ahead. Well, I, and, and Alabama still has a 40 point offense. And I, oh, yeah. I still think a 40 yeah. point offense is a, Maybe Georgia throws off this idea, in my opinion. But in recent seasons, a 40-point offense has been kind of the minimum requirement to win a national championship in some ways. So that's why we've been questioning Oklahoma, which we can talk about Oklahoma here in a bit if you want. But I think their season just changed dramatically with Caleb Williams, a quarterback. I think they went from this team that we're not sure about. As he settles in at quarterback, I think they're going to win the rest of their games. Um, You know, Michigan's flirting. What's that? That's interesting because Spencer Rattler was a Heisman Trophy favorite in a lot of places. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Going it shows that we don't know what we know. Yeah. A guy that can be the Heisman favorite, potential number one pick, may end up transferring because Caleb Williams stepped in in that game and changed their entire season, in my opinion. Yeah. Because now I think if he gets rolling, they could be pretty good. Um, Bill, well, let, me, let me throw something else at you too, though. Isn't it amazing now in the modern, in the modern time, even – Nick Saban did this in the middle of a national championship game. You know, go to the young guy. You know, the I mean, go to the, you know, you're like you just said, I mean, Michigan with JJ McCarthy sitting there and you, you know, Kate McNamara, can he take you to where you want to get? You know, those are those are decisions that coaches have to make either during the course of a season 
or during a course of a game that will change, can change everything for them. And I think they're more willing to do it now than ever. Agreed? Oh, for sure. And that, you, you, you hit it because Oklahoma made basically a Jalen Tua decision in the middle of the biggest game of the year. And yeah. you've, you've been to that game. You know hey, how hey. high the emotions can and be. And way behind, but go ahead. Yeah. 28 to seven. They give him the ball on fourth and one, and he runs a 66-yard touchdown. Um, and I think that's another thing that we have to watch going into the second half of the season is which of these top ten teams have quarterbacks that if the first guy goes down, are they in trouble? Penn State found out if your quarterback goes down, you're in trouble. Yeah. I think Georgia has found a way. I mean, JT Daniels has missed two games. Stetson Bennett hasn't missed a beat because that's the way they play. Yes. I do think if C.J. Stroud went down again, and, and I'm not saying it will, Ohio State has options at quarterback with McCord and Miller. Uh, Alabama, I'm not so sure. You yeah. know, if Bryce Young goes down, they might be in trouble. And that's yeah. something to keep in mind because Oklahoma has one. Michigan has one. I, I really think that's more of a – it's not a Brady-Henson deal for them right now. I think it's just anybody that's watched Michigan kind of sees the raw talent in McCarthy – and if he gives the reps, I think he's going to be a better passer than McNamara. That's just a personal opinion. But then again, McNamara is a team leader that they have kind of rallied around and their offense rests on the running game. But definitely a, a, a theme to watch in the second half of the season with these top 10 teams is that you've got to have that second quarterback. Biggest surprise. Give me some quick answers here. Biggest surprise of the year so far. Is it Cincinnati getting over that hump, that those that trip through – tour through Indiana where they beat Indiana and then they beat Notre Dame. Uh, and now they're sitting here in the top four and really whether they can control their destiny, you know, that's a question for another day. That's for four or five weeks from now. <laughs> but uh, Cincinnati is not a surprise, but is it, does it, is it a feel good story that in fact they did cover those humps and now they're in the American athletic conference hoping to hold sway. No, they're in the mix, and I think the best Alabama loss was huge for them Yeah, because if one SEC team gets in, I think they're going to have a pretty good chance because the ACC and Pac-12 have kind of fallen off. I operate under the assumption that the Big Ten champion will get in, even with one – I mean, a one-loss Big Ten champion is going to the playoff. I agree. Given all these big games they're, they're having. I think Oklahoma is going to – I made my feelings clear on them that I think they're going to be in good shape in the Big 12. So Cincinnati's doing what they can. I think they're one surprise. We talked about Michigan State. They'd be another. And then, you know, out of the ACC, it's kind of a surprise that Wake Forest is the only 6-0 team. And Dave Clawson continues to win close games. And they've got a veteran quarterback in Sam Hartman. And nobody really cares about Wake Forest football in Big Ten country. But if you watch them, that, that, that's a pretty good team. Yes. So I think they're going to win the ACC. I don't know. But um, those have definitely been surprises early in the season. And then, of course, you just hit a, you just hit the other surprise. Wake Forest, the only undefeated team in the ACC. You've seen North Carolina take it on the chin several times now. You've seen Clemson, as my buddy Spencer Holbrook predicted. Clemson had two losses by the end of September. You know, he saw that coming. Ungalalele, Ungalalele, Ungalalele. You know, I don't know if it's all his fault. I don't get to watch every Clemson game. I do watch snippets of almost every game. But uh, um, that's a little bit of a surprise, isn't it? Oh, I mean, absolutely. The way that they've fallen off quickly, um, the offense couldn't move the ball, and DJ Uwangalele uh, struggled in the passing game. They've had injuries too, and yeah. again, we've seen this. I I don't know if you and I talked about it. Once other ACC teams see that, 
and they've seen NC State beat them now, there's nobody that's going to fear Clemson now. And they're not going to feel bad about them. You know, you're, you could see a couple more fields get stormed if Clemson loses in the back half of the season. And, um, you know, it's like one of my buddies uh, joked when A&M stormed the field on Saturday, it was, what, $250,000 fine. They're like, they're going to pay that. Yeah. Even in the era of COVID, where you have to be careful, I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to be careful. Nobody cared. They were they were definitely going to well, get they out there sit next to each other the whole game anyway. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, uh, yeah, but you're right. I mean, and they've got you know, believe me, they got deep pockets at that school. Man, I grew up in East Texas, and uh, Texas A&M was always the school that wanted to be wanted to be Texas. If you follow my drift there, and now oh yeah, now, now they got them in the same league again coming up and stuff, and that's. To see that rivalry rejoined is going to be cool. Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Pac-12, what do you make of the Pac-12 halfway, basically halfway through the season here? I don't know. <laughs> there's your, there's your well, good answer. Well, for example, Oregon is not the what same I... Oregon that played Ohio State. I mean, they, you know, the kid that went uh, 75 or whatever on Ohio State, the, they're at the beginning of the second half. Verdell's he's out for the year. You know they've uh, yeah. I mean they've had injuries galore on their defense. Go ahead. It's been a stunner that they've looked bad since they beat Ohio State. They didn't look great against Arizona. They lose yeah. to Stanford. Yeah. Now they got to win out. And yeah, I, I wonder. Here's for those of us who know the sometimes odd behavior of the college football playoff committee. Here is what what it could come down to later in the year. Let's say Oregon goes 12 and one and just looks ugly the rest of the year. And let's say Ohio State goes 12 and one and beats, okay, we know they got to beat Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa. Just rattle off four big wins like that. Yeah. I think the committee would take Ohio State. I know they value head to head, but I think if it came down to those two, they might take the Buckeyes. Well, here's the and thing. Now, yeah. It's, well, it's a classic. I mean, you know, we have history on, have history. To, on that situation, uh, except it wasn't a tie situation between the two teams we're talking about. But the, if you're going to lose, man, lose those first couple of three games. I mean, Alabama right. losing six games into the season, that's pretty tough. I mean, even if it is Alabama, they're still going to get a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, but not as much, you know, as if you stub your toe early. But you're right. I mean, my son, Corey, one of my sons, uh, my middle kid, Corey, you know, he, he said, well, why is Alabama still fifth? And I go, well, why is Ohio State ranked ahead of Oregon? You know, right? <laughs> because when you look at these teams, you vote, and and yeah, these polls mean nothing as in, as 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 compared to the college football playoff selection committee. But those people are human too, and it's giving you an insight into how humans look at the it look at this situation halfway through the year. But you're right; that will be a conundrum for them for sure. That that could be one, and you know. The rest of the Pac-12, I mean, Arizona State's looked good, but they have yeah. that BYU loss. Um, it's just a tough conference to break down on a week-to-week basis because, like the ACC, it's very unpredictable. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Pitt won the ACC with the way that Kenny Pickett's playing. They're scoring another 40-point offense. Um, they could lose two or three games and win the ACC. And this is the same Pitt team that lost to Western Michigan. And this, this has been kind of the fun part of this season is – there have been a ton of upsets. It's made it tough to do our weekly picks and those kind of things. And I don't mind losing those games because it means that the season is pretty fun. Yeah, I was going to say, college football, major college football now is a, is getting closer to the NFL by the minute. And I don't just mean because of playoffs and uh, and transfer portals and stuff. I mean, you, you know, every game is an adventure one way or the other. I mean, for example, Ohio State has won two games the last two weeks 
historically the way they've always beaten Rutgers in Maryland, right? Well, except for that one year with Maryland, but they still beat them, still scored 50 or more. <laughs> but but you know Rutgers is better than it was two years ago. Uh, Maryland at one point was undefeated. I did, I did call them the most counterfeit of the undefeated teams left a couple of weeks ago, and that's been found out, but they've gone against Iowa and Ohio State in the last two weeks and paid the price for it and 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 suffered a lot of injuries. But there, 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 are, there are few givens anymore in college football. I mean, uh, when teams show up, I mean, it's you, you really don't know what you're getting from, you know, each team from one week to the next. And I think that's made it extremely curious, extremely exciting. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, the Big Ten has proven that it has improved a lot. Um, yeah. The Big Ten East in particular, there's no game that you can just walk into and win. I mean, and maybe Ohio State's a little bit different. Yeah, they can go to Rutgers and blast them, and they can go blast Maryland, and, you know, they're probably going to take it to Indiana before they get into this late-season grind. Where, But to me, I mean, Penn State, if they have Clifford back, they're going to feel like they can compete in that game. Michigan State's certainly going to feel like they can compete against Ohio State. Yes. And, and that's probably – that's a really dangerous game in November. Yes. I'm just looking at it. And it could, it could go either way. I mean, you know, I always tell people it's a weird statistic that you have to go all the way back to 2015 and you and I were in the box. That's the last time Ohio State's lost a home Big Ten game. Yeah. To Michigan right. State in a game that – remember when they kicked that one off, um, Connor Cook was out. So I was just going into that game, oh, Ohio State's going to roll through this one. And yeah. they didn't. And so that's why that's that one game I've circled. If Michigan State keeps doing what they're doing – They'll be interesting. And then Michigan, of course, they have been great in the first half of the season. They still have to go to Michigan State. They still have to go to Penn State. And they still have to play Ohio State. Yeah. And those are the games where their season's going to be true. Like, they could go 9-3 and three and lose those three games, and we're going to have the same old Jim Harbaugh debate at the end of the season. Yeah, I was going to say that 2015 game, like you said, uh, Michigan State was starting a quarterback uh, – from Ohio that a lot of people had never even heard of. And it was the most beautiful fall day until about 320. <laughs> the right. kickoff was at 340. And then just this big storm front moved through and Ohio State lost its way without a doubt. And uh, see, I thought that team was better than the year before. I, I mean, <laughs> that's a, a profound statement. But I mean, just, you know, most of the major players back from 2014 and to watch that's, that's what I said about college football, man. You think you know. You know, but do you? You know, that's the big question. Hey, last thing. Uh, right now, like I brought up Spencer Rattler a minute ago, uh, and I know you guys at SportingNews.com, y'all do this uh, a lot during the year, but uh, who? what is the Heisman top three right now? Is there a Heisman top three right now? I mean, who? I mean, Kenneth Walker, you can't debate what he's doing, what he has meant to Michigan State, for example, and nobody heard of him, uh, you know, by the end of August, but uh, uh, I'm talking about nationally, but what's your take on that? Well, I mean, it changes every week. I mean, a couple weeks ago, it might have been Matt Corral. Yeah. Last week, it may have been a Bryce Young or a Bijan Robinson. Now we're looking at, I mean, I'd have to go back. I don't remember what Lorenzo White finished in the Heisman Trophy voting when he was at Michigan State, but Kenneth Walker could place in that kind of range if he yeah. continues to do what he's doing. I mean, he's put up almost a thousand yards and nine touchdowns in the first half of the season. He can keep that rolling. You know, you got to wonder for Ohio state, could Travion Henderson crap creep in there? If he puts up some absurd numbers, breaks the freshman rushing record that I think Dobbins broke Clarets who broke 
you know who Claret broke. I can't remember before that. Maybe Keith Byers or something. Um, I, think it, I think it was Robert Smith. Robert Smith. Well, yeah, there was another yeah. good one. Um, yeah. So if Travion Henderson gets in that discussion, he could be interesting. I mean, Chris Olave as a receiver could get in the mix. I mean, this it is wide open now because, like you said, our, our preseason favorite might transfer. Caleb Williams could get in the mix, but I don't know if he'll have the numbers. So, I mean, that's how much volatility there's been in the Heisman Trophy race. Um, you know, there's something to be said about quarterbacks. Matt Corral, if Ole Miss goes 11-1 and one, and their only loss is Alabama and he has ridiculous numbers, which he probably will, yeah. he'd probably still be in that conversation. Yeah, and check out ridiculous numbers, man. And we all, we all saw this coming because – all you got to do is drive this sports car, as I call it, Ohio State's offense. C.J. Stroud has had a couple of big-time games. Granted, granted, they were against uh, Rutgers in Maryland, but they were Big Ten games, uh, whatever, and he's putting up numbers. I mean, 17 touchdown passes, I think, to this point, just three interceptions. Uh, and he's, barring injury, he's only going to get better, and so right. is this offense. And it, and he's going to have some showcase games Uh you know, there's the guy that I'm looking at because I'm not sure Travion Henderson is going to get all the touches he needs, uh, you know, to get there because the quarterback is still the focal point of this offense, this Ohio State offense. And uh, with this fleet of receivers and uh, a great running back in Travion Henderson, you know, it, the, the table is set for C.J. Stroud to kind of take it and run with it. I mean – Well, I think the other way off the radar pick would be uh, Coastal Carolina quarterback Grace McCall. Because yeah. I think they got a decent chance to go 12-0 and 0 or 13-0. and 0. And yeah. uh, if you look at his numbers, he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in college football. So who knew we were going to live in a world where a Coastal Carolina quarterback could be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony? That's how much our world has changed in the last 24 months, I suppose. That is so indicative of, of the era we're living in, Bill. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a new day. I mean, the transfer portal and Coastal Carolina is one of the great beneficiaries of some of that, but I mean, and then right on down the line, everything has changed, man. I mean, not everything, but a lot of things have changed. And, and, you know, I think it's good for college football when Alabama gets beat. I mean, uh, because it makes you just, you know, same old, same old. I don't, I'm not sure anybody likes same old, same old, but it makes you just start like we just did you, especially not me. I'm just hanging on to your coattails here start to analyze things. Okay, well, wait a minute. What's the contingency plan here? You know, is it Georgia? Right. Is Georgia finally going to get over that hump, which is Alabama, you know, uh, for the last many years with Kirby Smart? I mean, is it going to happen? I mean, it, it is going to make for an exciting, uh, interesting last half of this regular season, right? Well, one of the things that I think could happen, though, is for all the craziness and all the excitement we've experienced, there is, in my opinion, a very good chance that the playoff ends up being Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Yeah. Which would be the same old, same old. Maybe Cincinnati can throw a wrench into that by finishing undefeated. Maybe, you know, somebody else can knock Alabama off and knock them out. Maybe Iowa. an Iowa or a Penn State or a Michigan can knock Ohio State out. Um, yeah. I don't see it personally. I keep telling people at work that – Ohio State is 20-0 in Big Ten games under Ryan Day, and they've won those games convincingly. There's just some – that I think you could go back to the Oregon loss and Haskell Garrett said something about them doing what High State did in 14, right? And they yeah. lost to Virginia Tech early, and they can do that too. And I kind of scoffed at it because after watching that game, I thought, you know, 
there's no way this Ohio State team can be that. But they've found something on the defensive side of the ball. They've got that part of the schedule where they've got it right. And, again, you mentioned it. The, the name of the game in college football now is offense. Yeah. And right now, Ohio State has the best offense statistically from a point standpoint in the FBS. And when you have that, they have something that – when you have that, I'd, I'd take that over Iowa's defense. Yeah. Go and I'd take that over Penn State's kind of well-balanced attack. And I'd take that over what Michigan and Michigan State have on the field because it's on one of those schools to come out and beat them. And I guess if I just had to pick one that had the best chance – Maybe it's Iowa. Maybe it's Iowa and Indianapolis if they're both 12-0. and That'd be a lot of fun. I don't think the Big Ten Championship game has had two 12-0s in it, and that'd be a lot of fun to see. Or 12-0, and 11-1. I'm sorry. I guess I guess that blew that yeah. up. But everybody knows yeah. Ohio State undefeated would be the favorite in that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said. And, then, you know, the thing about it is, like you we pointed out earlier, you've got to have an offense these days that when they take A away, you've got B. When they take B away, you've got C. But when you have A, B, and C all working, and C to me is a quarterback who can make things happen when everything else breaks down. Ohio State is evolving into into developing its C because C.J. Stroud has shown he can scramble a little bit and still throw the ball on the money. Now uh, in the big games, can he scramble a little bit and then get you those eight or ten yards that make the difference? I'm talking about running the ball that keep a drive alive at a critical time. I think he does have that ability. Bryce Young, I think, has that ability. You know, look at I'm still curious about what's going to happen with Georgia and his quarterback. I'm still curious where the Petrus at uh, at uh, Iowa is enough of a playmaker in a in a big time game to yeah. finally get it done. But boy, you can't argue with the results to this point. No, for sure. And that that's what'll make it so interesting down the stretch. I mean, I'm really look I will say like most years. This time of year, I'm just assuming Ohio State's going to run through everything. But that, there's enough intrigue now with some of those teams that I'm excited. You know, I'm excited to, to see what happens in, in all of these conferences. I think the playoff race will be fun down the second half of the season. The Heisman race will be fun. Yeah, um, yeah, man, it, it's been good. So uh, it, it's been a really good first half of the season. Hope, hopefully the second half will have a lot more upsets and twists and turns along the way. You know, for an irregular, ir- irregular guest on the Tim May podcast, man, you sure bring it. I mean, in a <laughs> key but very informative way. Bill Bender, I hope the uh, what's the name of your what's the name of your peewee uh, 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 flag football team, the Pickerington Staley's? What, what no, are they? We, we don't play flag football here in Pickerington. Oh, what's the name right? of your no, peewee I, football no, I've been team? Running around on it's been cool. <laughs> I mean, so I'm helping. Our season concluded Saturday. We lost in the playoffs to oh. former Michigan cornerback Marcus Ray of all people and he's got a son he's got a son that's up and coming and is going to be a nice player in the Pickerington school system and then I've been helping out with St. Agatha in Columbus on Sundays with my old college roommate Russ Rogers who played at OU and uh, so I've been getting I've been able to see kind of the, the Pickerington scene and then the local high school Catholic scene which everybody knows in Columbus knows that Watterson and DeSales and and those schools and how how serious they take it the Reedies yeah. and Hartleys and it, they've got a lot of talent coming up. So for me, it's just rewarding to help with fifth and sixth graders, um, see them and the light turn on in football and love the game so much. And, you know, as soon as, like I said, as soon as the season's over, maybe I'll get a little bit of sleep, but that's okay. Yeah. I just like that name, the Pickerington Staley's. That's what you, that's what it should be. That's, you know, that's a throw, that's a blast from the past from the NFL long ago. Oh, I know. Yeah. The Cater so, Staley's. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, and hopefully you and I can catch up again as we get into the second half of the season. And these are always fun discussions for me. 
Absolutely. Bill Bender, thanks for uh, being the irregular member of the Tim May podcast, man. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks so much. I always appreciate having Bill Bender on, man, the uh, the uh, slick from Pickerington or the slick from Pick. But uh, uh, he, he has some good views, right? Awesome. And he, he looks yes. at the national scene, but you know, we all do anymore. And he echoed some of the things, the sentiments that you had before we went to that interview there. But, uh, you know, this idea that it could be the same old, same old in the college football playoff, despite how the landscape looks right now, that's not as far-fetched as it seems, is it? No, you could get right back there. And it, it's hard to sit at this point and having watched Oklahoma, think that they're going to keep surviving every single week, but they could. That would keep you win the Big 12. Doesn't matter how impressive you look. If you're 13-0, and 0, you're going to go from that league. Uh, you can basically rule out the Pac-12 and the ACC, in my mind at this point. But, you know, I think a lot of people thought you could have Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Ohio State the whole time, and that scenario still exists. Like Cincinnati is not magically in the clear here, uh, and Iowa would have to, uh, you think, would be, have to beat Ohio State uh, in the Big Ten championship game to get to the playoffs. So those same teams, they still have, even with a loss for Ohio State, even with a loss for Alabama, even with as poor as Oklahoma has looked at times, they're, they're still here on a, in the middle of October in the middle part of the season really in the same position that they were. Yeah. And that happens when you have one of the most talented teams in the country. Yeah. And uh, believe it, a one-loss SEC team is going to probably be in the college football playoff, you know, because <laughs> uh, – and and there's a good chance two, two one-loss teams from the SEC could be in the big – could be in the college football playoff, which would, by my estimation, a scenario you just laid out, would knock Cincinnati out of it because – you got to figure the Big Ten champion, if it's Ohio State or Iowa, they sure seem to be on a collision course, but there are a lot of obstacles, especially for Ohio State to clear before they get there. The winner of that's going to be in there. And if Oklahoma goes undefeated, I don't think there's any way they're not in the college football playoffs. So, you know, yeah. Cincinnati's got to do a lot of rooting uh, while, it, while it keeps on winning. Uh, that's pretty accurate, isn't it? That's absolutely right. And, look, Cincinnati's a good team. It's not a slight on them, and it's not a slight to the, you know, or – or point to the brand names or any of that. I know that that will be common and those conversations will obviously ramp up in November, but yeah. you know, Cincinnati's had really what's going to be its best win. And it has to hope that Notre Dame doesn't avoid another slip up, which it normally, you know, very nearly had again over the weekend. Yeah. And it, you know, and it's not guaranteed to win every game from here on out, but uh, you know, it's, it's just a different animal in college football when there's four spots as opposed to a feel-good sort of and I, apologies to Luke Fickle and Brady Collins and those guys down there to, to call them Cinderella. But, you know, when you're not in the Power Five League, that's the situation, and nobody really wants that to happen in the playoffs. It's different than basketball. Like, yeah, let's, let's see the mid-majors make a run. Like, college football doesn't work that way because there's just a difference between the one through 85 talent on these rosters and yeah. – uh, and Cincinnati's strength of schedule will not compare to what Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, whoever else get to do over the next few weeks. And that's just a fact of life for them. Yeah. The great part for Cincinnati just doesn't help them this year, but they're a couple years away from that not being the case for them anymore. And I think that's spinning off. I, I digress in a bunch of different directions uh, with apologies to you there, Tim, but you know, that's why I think Luke Fickle is staying there and why that program could have staying power and could eventually be a team where you don't even have to think about it. All right, well, you win the 
the revamped Big 12, go undefeated, cool, you're in. You're in the club. But they're just not in that right now. Yeah. By the way, uh, you should apologize to your dad, Jeff Ward, also. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been in touch about you. Now I'm just messing with you. Well, that's good. He's coming to town this week uh, to see the, see the U.S. national team on Wednesday night and uh, seek liberty. Uh, I guess I should say start with that first and foremost. But yeah. the, speaking of an off date and an opportunity to maybe relax a little bit, just one day of media and then the folks will be here to, to see the grandkid and a bunch, of so- a bunch of soccer and maybe a little hockey on Thursday night. So, yeah, you yeah. go. You're going to show them the sites. It's not like living in green Texas. That's for dang sure, you know. But uh, I know those sites well. Although ZZ Top might show up at any moment in green Texas, what's left of ZZ Top. But I digress. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Texas. Everybody knows that. uh, It's it's its own entertainment if you follow my drift. But but anyway, moving on real quick. You know, you touched on something a while ago, talking about defenses and uh, and just talking about the young Ohio State defense. Uh, that I wanted to get to real quick. And then I wanted to ask you a couple of quickies. And I know with me and you, quickie is not, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's not that definition. No. But I digress. Uh, the thing about this defense that's showing up more and more that's making it look a little bit contenderish is much like what you see from Iowa on a day, on a play-by-play basis, much like you see from Georgia, that great Georgia defense on a play-by-play basis. Guys are in the right place at the right time uh and i'm talking about young guys at ohio state and they're taking care of their responsibility and not necessarily running to the fire and it's more and more paying off for this defense uh that's the sign uh sign of a maturing defense doesn't mean it's matured but a maturing defense or as victor mature would say a maturing defense uh (laughs) I would think you agree with me on that, right? We're we're seeing a lot of things. It's kind of like watching a garden grow, uh, where there's some pretty stout seeds you planted, you know, and it's growing right in front of you, right? Yeah, and I think there's no better example of that than a unit that we've talked about since August or April or March. If you were going to point to a group that had the most questions, it was that linebacker. And you're just simply, even with more spread offenses and – the talk of bullets and, you know, four, two, five, whatever. Exotics. Even, yeah. yeah. Even with all this stuff going on, you still are just not going to play competent defense without strong linebackers. They, uh, Zach Bourne put it this way in, in Buck IQ this week, linebackers are what make you right as a defense. And that didn't happen early. We know that. We're not covering new ground. But you're talking about people that were doing it for the first time and Cody Simon and Tommy Eichenberg, even Taraja Mitchell as a senior. This is the first time he's been a starter and having to do it on a play-by-play basis. And, you know, in August, Steel Chambers was getting his first actual practice at linebacker. So it's not uh, unexpected that Ohio State would struggle with that or have growing pains, but I think they deserve credit for how quickly they've adapted through them and gotten a lot better by the middle of the year. I love Liberty. Give me Liberty or give me a popsicle. <laughs> Hi, Liberty. Oh, she's 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 got her mute button on. <laughs> Do you want to go watch her show? It's time. Oh, okay. Well, I'll Can you do a cheer for the Columbus crew for me? 
C R E W crew crew crew. That's all I got. <laughs> do they even hear cheer? Do they have cheerleaders? By the way, awesome. Okay, you want to be right here. Do, right, we're the, gonna have a guest, Tim. We're gonna mix it up. Does the crew have? Does the crew have cheerleaders? By the way, they will in this one. Um, but I think they did. Al Washington deserves credit for that. Matt Barnes deserves credit for the way that they've changed it and they've developed and gotten a lot better. And you know that's. Yep. It's significant because this team, you looked at Saturday, four of the top five tacklers for Ohio State were linebackers, and then another young guy in, in Ronnie Rocket Hickman, someone we talked about last week who's come along. These guys – Wait a minute, interrupt you. I've talked about him every week, but go well, ahead. You've been calling that for a long time, but yeah. this is a team that's grown up a lot, and everyone wants to – not everyone. Some people want to discount it for who they play. Can only you can only play against the teams that are out there. So what did we ask Ryan Day four weeks ago after Oregon? You're expected to win these games. How are you going to know that that progress is or that you know they're successful and that you're seeing what you want? The progress to me is undeniable. And Tim, you you made that point uh, starting against Tulsa, even when it looked a little rough at times. Yeah. And you were dead on. This team has gotten much better every single week, and those reps are only going to pay off down the road. Hey, real quick, uh, you'll get a kick out of this. Liberty Mike, too. Uh, I was talking on the radio earlier this week with uh, Brandon Bean, former former uh, housemate with uh, Michael Bennett on his show, Morning Juice, and Timmy Hall. But uh, I said, you know, the funny thing is when uh, Steel Chambers was standing in front of us the other night or the other afternoon after yeah. that game, I said, you know, it's funny. While the other guy was talking, I said he was kind of moving his fingers like he was playing a keyboard. And I'm <laughs> telling you, the way he had his hair up in a bun, and he kind of has that look about him. I said he looked like a – a, a bigger, beefier version of a of an artist formerly known as Prince, and uh, and he does. He has like this really cool look to him, you know. And uh, and uh, he's pretty matter of fact too, you know. And it's kind of cool to see a guy like that sort of come out of the shadow because he was not, he was not probably going to play much as a running back if he'd stayed in in that position. I think that's pretty accurate, isn't it? And I think that's another thing that you have to give credit. Last week we talked about. Marcus Williamson and the humility that he showed, uh, you know, we kind of dropped tents and, and he's danced around it a little bit. When you're talking about that week four situation, Marcus Williamson was one of those people that was evaluating his future and what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. I think now he's talked about it enough publicly that we can say that. And yeah. once he made that decision to say, you know what, I want to be here. I've always wanted to play for the Buckeyes. I still have an opportunity if I play well. And, and he used that word in his press conference on Tuesday, humility. Well, guess what? He's playing a lot better. He still has a role. He's maybe not going to be an early-round NFL draft pick, but he gets yeah. to contribute to a team and maybe win another Big Ten championship, and they need him there. Oh, and, yeah. he, and he accepted that. The same thing is true for Steel Chambers. It doesn't always happen right when you want. I said in February, yeah. I knew that you know, Tony Alford and now Washington had looked at this in the depth chart, and they knew, dating back to his recruitment, that Steel Chambers could help them at linebacker. And they didn't force him. They didn't make him do it. It took him longer to come to that realization than a lot of other people had, and that's fine. It's his career. He got to do what he wanted. But he got to that point, and he said, you know what? I'm probably not going to be ahead of Travion Henderson or Mayan Williams or even Marcus Crowley, guy I came in with, any of that. And I need to do what's best for the team in this situation. Because if he wanted to play running back, he could have done that elsewhere. If Marcus Williamson wanted to finish his career and be a starting safety or a cornerback somewhere else, he could have done that. But they chose to do something on their own timelines that Ohio State needed, and it will, it will help them. It's absolutely going to help Steel Chambers 
that he's at linebacker now. And it'll probably help Marcus Williams so that he stuck through the adversity and will finish his career wearing a block O. And it'll probably be different, probably not what he envisioned for after football or after Ohio State career. But yeah, both of these guys are going to benefit from that. And you, you and I have done this a very long time. When these guys that stick it out and make these decisions, they're entitled to do whatever they want. You know, Dallas Gantt, I'm not saying anything negative about his decision. He made it for him and with his own reasons. That's fine. But these stories of the perseverance and, and finding ways to help and, you know, going out on top or the right way or any, any way you want to put it, like, you feel good for those guys, especially when they come to that realization on their own. And Steel Chambers and Marcus Williamson, you look at what they did on Saturday, they were both really important parts of that defense. Yeah. You know, and when guys talk later about the brotherhood, you know, about being a member of the brotherhood. Yeah. You know, Steel Chambers is one of those guys – that can hold his head high and talk about it. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's, that's what's cool about it. And the other thing, you know, real quick, the last several weeks we've been talking about freshmen and young guys stepping up. But now what's interesting about this team is you've got these veterans, you know, these upperclassmen stepping like seven banks. That corner blitz he had the other day, that yeah. looked like Sean Wade. I mean, that was, <laughs> you know, unbelievable. Like I, like I said, you know, uh, I don't think he wants to do that two times in a row because, you know, he did have a, quite the collision – but wow, right? I mean, the potential, you know, you, you can see the player in him you know, when he finally feels totally healthy. And I'm, he may be getting close to that, as you talked about this past week and we've talked about. But, uh, but yeah, that's what's kind of feeding this fire now a little bit, you know. And uh, Matt Jones, you know, valuable member, ridiculous, valuable member of that offensive line, stepping in for Thayer Munford the other day when he went down for a little while, but got back in the game. But that's what we're seeing, right? That's what's going – to, I think, in the, in the end, make this Ohio State team different from the other teams we've been talking about. Yeah, and I think, you know, we'll see how Tyreek Smith responds to that when he's had to miss yeah. three weeks and go back in. And uh, you, you alluded to Haskell Garrett and, you know, Mike Bennett wanting him to get back out there. Like, uh, that's a different situation. But you know, Ohio State's got Cam Brown trying to get healthy and get back out there. He just can't catch a break. and He's kicked in the head. I mean, or hitting the head. Yeah, go ahead. That's not to the head. And, you know, uh, I, I – I talked to him uh, outside the tunnel in the locker room. And you could, it's pretty clear what that injury probably was on Saturday and you feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, but like Ohio State has these guys, these veterans that can all make that same realization about what it takes to end it the right way. And Tyreek Smith, obviously that's going through an injury, but before that it was another one of those guys that was in a situation like, uh, I thought this was going to be a lot easier and it wasn't. And so he's got, an opportunity they all do now coming down the stretch and get get through this off date get healthy and the biggest games are, are ahead of them the second half is going to be really entertaining and I know that we'll talk about that again uh, next week on your podcast but yeah, yeah this this is about to be that that time where they push and Ohio State I think is playing uh, they're trending towards their best football hey real quick Liberty's giving me the wrap it up signal I don't know you yeah. can see her behind you there but uh yeah, our loyal audience, I'll have to apologize for the disruption in the aircraft, oh. but, you know, there's just no daycare on, on uh, Columbus Day. So, hey, when we're not landing the plane, anybody can come up and visit my, you know, visit up here. You know, I mean, even grab the controls. We got on autopilot, for goodness sake. Uh, one, one quick question I want to ask you, you can give me a real short answer and I'll give you my version. Yeah. The one player, give me one player, not five, one player who has stepped up from day one to now, and, if, you know, we may have just answered it with Steel Chambers, but who stepped up from day one till now, who has really caught your eye. And next week we're going to talk about some other things. But the one player who's really 
if you had to tout one player right now who's really stepped up, and he can be still Chambers, by the way, yeah. who is that guy? I know you got 10 of them floating through your head. <laughs> you got to be air traffic control here, man. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the dramatic rise of Travion Henderson uh, needs – maybe it doesn't need it. It just deserves credit. You know, yeah. we – we had talked about this, and we've seen what he could do with the football in his hands. We knew that Ohio State would find a role for him, but I, you know, I tried to caution, um, at least from my perspective, that it may have taken five, six, seven weeks for him to do a lot of the other things that were necessary to be the starting tailback and, you know, handle blitz protection, catch the football out of the backfield, uh, you know, all the things that Ohio State wants to think about. You know, Zeke and J.K. If you're not ever going to come off the field. Uh, well, here's how you do it. And in August, it looked like, okay, well, I don't know about hitting that bag just right and tripping over your feet. You're too athletic to be making that kind of mistake or dropping a swing pass. Well, uh, he has proven to be an incredibly fast learner and uh, smart, understands the role, sharp dude, uh, and work ethic off the charts. So he's done this much sooner. Maybe it's by necessity in some respects. The urgency of losing to Oregon early, but this guy is truly special, Tim. And yeah, uh, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. All right, mine, mine is, and I'm going to name one guy, but I, this guy was not a surprise. I'm just going to say why I'm not naming him because you could see this coming a year ago. Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah, is is one of those guys like like his two cohorts in the starting lineup there, uh, Garrett Wilson and a guy named Chris Olave. Uh, <laughs> who are just a cut above. Yeah. But the guy I'm going to name is, and he's coming on big time. You saw him in the return game uh, this past weekend, and you're going to see him more in the passing game because he saw you also flashed in that is Amika Egbuka. Amika uh, Egbuka. I hope I'm saying it correct. As I called him in Mecca, I think, after the game. But uh, the bottom line is don't call him late for the lineup. I mean, this guy is really coming on. This depth of this Ohio State wide receiver core, wide receiver room is no joke, and you haven't even seen Marvin Harrison Jr. truly yet. But uh, Emeka Agbuka has found a way uh, to make a make his presence known, and he, he has excelled at it. And, you know, you almost kind of go out on a limb and say he's going to get one of these kickoff returns eventually because he has that knack, man. Some guys have it. Some guys don't. You agree? Yeah, he will. And I, and I wonder, too, like, if maybe uh, the touches are going to be harder to come by it at wide receiver, which obviously they will be when those three are still around. If, if you just don't risk it with Garrett Wilson out there on the punt return and just say, Hey, you, Emeka, you are now the returner in both of these phases. I know Ohio State likes to, you know, split that role between two different dudes, but yeah. Uh, Abuka is something else. Uh, the future remains really bright at wide receiver and it's already that way in the return game. Those droughts are eventually going to end uh, 2010 and 2014 it's almost impossible still to believe that that's lasted that long with the talent Ohio State has had. But he, he's a fraction away. You can tell. We're two last week that looked like uh, could go back to the house on kickoff returns. And I don't think it'll take too much longer before he snaps that streak. I was going to say, you know, in golfing terms, he put that uh, 10 feet from the flag, you know. <laughs> it just got to finish it off with that hole in one. Oh, man, I love, I love Liberty. She brought us both balloons. Thank you, Liberty. Thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast, Liberty. Debut. Yeah. She, she said the other other day she was 
she's been coming to watch some uh, Letterman live at Roosters, and or she did that on Monday. And uh, weekend kickoff at Urban's Pine House. She loves to put on the headset, and she's decided that she wants to talk about the Buckeyes. So yeah, hanging out with me and you—that's a pretty good way to get that I going. I can't believe she's not still a cheerleader for the Columbus Crew. The way you had her decked out that one time and put it on the internet. Uh, but uh, you know, but I digress. I mean, you know, we're raising, bit, we're raising her right. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a little bit. Slightly bummed that your dad's coming all the way to Columbus to see a soccer game, but uh, you know. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that's the number one. I reason. know. I'm joking. You know, I'm joking. I'm talking in front of your back, not in back of your back. That's that's it. It. Anyway, hey, uh, awesome Ward. Thanks for again for joining the Tim May podcast, my man. All right. Uh, yeah. Sorry for the the interruptions there, but um, what can you do? Life goes on. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you then.